Welcome to Midlife Mastery. I'm, of course, Brock Edwards, and midlife is a fantastic time to take on new hobbies or return to those that really interested us when we were younger and we just got away from. In midlife, we typically have a, a bit more time, money, opportunities, and resources than we did in our 20s and 30s, and hopefully a bit more wisdom as well. And so it becomes a great time to take up those new hobbies, return to the things that we were excited about. And riding horses is one of those passions that often gets set aside early in life. But what if you could pursue that now that you're in midlife? Where would you even begin? Fran Severn has created a website and a book, both called Riders of a Certain Age, Your Guide for Loving Horses, Midlife and Beyond. And they're focused on helping navigate starting out with horses in midlife. So just like it sounds. And although Fran's expertise is in the horse world, much of what we discuss really also applies to taking on any new hobby later in life. So for example, we talk about overcoming the fear of being a beginner and becoming comfortable and confident. The benefits of community. Myths about riding when you're older. What are those things that we kind of think are true, but really aren't? Some ways to minimize costs while deciding if you really want to pursue it or not. And different levels of expense. You know, you, you, can, you can go all in or you can go in a, a, little, a little ways. And, and we talk about what that might look like. And so if you're ready to play bigger in midlife, let's get started. Today's guest is Fran Severn, the author of Writers of a Certain Age. And today we're really, well, everyone, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know I'm a bit of a sucker for people who are taking on new challenges in midlife. And so recently we had Tad Stahl on, that episode was called As Seen on YouTube, where he got into go-karting later in life. And it is a family thing and great conversation with him. A few episodes before that, we had Jackie and Ray Hart talking about climbing midlife's mountains. You know, at 50 years old, they decided to become mountain climbers. And I just love that enthusiasm and taking on that new challenge. And so Fran, your focus is really on horses in midlife and beyond. So tell us a little bit, I mean, what, what inspired you to, to write a book, create a whole website around it, create resources for people? I was one of those kids that was the horse nut. Growing up in downtown Baltimore, there were horses. My mother did have Aunt Alice, and it was Aunt Alice, not Aunt Alice. And she had horses. She lived up in Baltimore County. But about the time I realized I was alive, she'd sold the farm and didn't have horses. So I don't know. I think there's a gene that you just are born with. And I'd always wanted horses, never had a chance to ride. After I graduated from college, the first job I had, which was in Steubenville, Ohio, which is not all that far from Weirton, West Virginia, from West Virginia, in a, a park that had horse riding. So I go down there and take lessons, and then I got a job in Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, and rode there, but it was just always in the background. Then when my son was born and was in school, and it was job, husband, house, all the other things that happened, and horses were not even a player. And it wasn't until I was in my late 40s and uh, my husband got a job down here on Maryland's Eastern Shore. And I realized that there are horses here. And I was finally able to start taking lessons and ride. And I realized that as an older person getting involved in horses, I didn't have the background, the kids that were raised with it or people that rode in their 20s or that had children who were riding and they were the, the horse moms. And I realized how little I knew. 
and got onto some social media sites that are specifically for riders of a certain age, that kind of thing, and began to see the same questions coming up over and over again. And some of the answers were, yeah, that sounds good. And others were like, oh, my God, please don't let her try that. And I just began to respond to a lot of these things and then realized maybe somebody needs a guide. And that's how it all got started. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's daunting. When, when, <laughs> I think, when I think about taking on new challenges in midlife and something actually, even, even listeners who have been with me for a while probably don't know. So my wife and daughter are involved in horses and, you know, we live on a horse property and anyway, without going into all the details, I just, from the, from the side, know how much is involved in it and taking on any new hobbies challenging, but when I think of all that goes into horses, if you go all in now, I know there's multiple levels. So yeah. So where, where does someone even get started if they're just thinking like, wow, horses sound great, but I don't, I don't know. I want to try them out. I, you know, where, where, where do they get started? Ask around that there are many ways to find stables wherever you live. You can do internet searches. You can stop by a feed store, a place that sells horse stuff. Those are probably good places to start. Find a place that offers lessons. Ask, you know, call, go out there, look it over, tell them you're a beginner, you're an adult, and you can kind of get a feel for the different places. Uh, someplace that's a very serious competition barn probably you're not going to be welcome at or I wouldn't say well you wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily and you know a place that has a good kids program is geared towards beginners and they will be very happy with an adult beginner and they just kind of ask around take a few lessons a couple here a couple there until you find your tribe as they speak and that's probably the best place to start if you know some people that have horses or you see a place and you drive down the road and you see horses in a field, knock on the door, ask, and you just kind of you know, do some scouting around. It's, it's not that difficult, really. Or, um, you know, go online. As I said, there are many, many groups that are for riders of a certain age, aging women, aging horseback, older horse riders. And check and see if you can find somebody in your area. You could do a search for where you live. I would do a search for horseback riding Maryland Eastern Shore. And stuff will come up. Groups will come up. And, you know, that would probably be great advice for for any hobby. Start looking around. Start talking to people. Get on the internet. Now, one of the the challenges that that I I see, and it sounds like you experienced as well and, and got started helping people with is figuring out what's good information, what's bad information. Cause there's so much information, you know, you yep. get on the forums, you get on the social media and some of it is very, very good. And there are people just willing to give other time and knowledge. And some of it may be well-meaning and is completely wrong. And I mean, and it takes time to just kind of amass yep. enough knowledge to be able to figure, figure that out. But of course, when we're talking about horseback riding or anything with, with a you know danger element, you want to kind of bet that stuff pretty quickly to figure out what, what the right answers are. So I don't know, well, that, is there, oh, jump in, please. No, that that's really what your instructor is for. If you're getting started, find an instructor, find someone who's going to teach you how to, to, to not just walk in the horse's saddled and ride, find some place where you're going to be taking care of the horse. You're going to lead the horse, you're going to learn how to be safe around horses, how to groom, and you get a better bonding with the horse. Anyhow, they all have great, they all have amazing personalities. And that's really when you're with an instructor and and a group 
they're going to be giving you the information to make it a pleasant experience. I know a lot of people, they look at Hollywood and they go, oh my God, the horse is going to roar or it's going to buck or it's going to do this or it's going to run off with me. And that's Hollywood. I have had no horse that was a kicker. I have had, rarely have I had a horse take off. And that's usually because something happened that startled it. And, you know, a good instructor will teach you how to do a one range halt and all that. But people don't get thrown that off and don't do, you know, they're, they're, yes, it is a risky sport because you're willingly climbing on a thousand pound animal that has his own, own opinion about things. But most schooling horses in particular, they've been training people since gasoline was a buck 50 a gallon. There's nothing they haven't seen and done and no instructor worth their salt is going to put a beginner on a horse that's going to do something dumb and get them hurt. So a lot of it, it's justifiable because we are older. We don't know what we're doing. We've, as, as our lives have gone on, we've tended to become experts in whatever it is we do, be it our job, running the house, whatever. Now we're in an area where we don't have the answers and we're out of our comfort zone. And that's where the anxiety begins to rise up. Definitely. And we're also kind of perhaps at an age where, you know, no one wants to feel foolish. No one wants to yeah. feel feel like the, the newbie, the beginner. And yet that's uh, just part of the learning curve as we're, we're taking on new things. So well, and part of it, if, if you have a chance, if you're at a stable that has a kid's program and you're just a raw beginner, you know, just you know, learning to, to sit the trotter post, whatever. Taking a, class, a group lesson with kids is great because they have so much enthusiasm and they don't care that you're older. They're on horses. This is fun. And the kids' enthusiasm often is just, oh, it's just contagious. And most places, if there are older people riding, they'll try to get you together. Um, often, if there's a kids program, maybe the parents don't ride, but you get to know the parents. So you begin to get a little community and some friends going. And I think for older people like us, having that that extra community, those extra friends is and those extra contacts is, is tremendously important and beneficial. That is a nice thing, at least that I found in from my own experiences from people I've talked to is that sense of community that it. Although it's daunting to be the new person, I almost never run across anyone who isn't just willing to completely help. They're just so pumped you were there and excited that you want to do what they find exciting. And and they absolutely want to tell you everything about their horse (laughs) and everything they do. And there's one young lady I know that she works. She has her own job. She's a teenager, but she has her own job. And she has color coordinated saddle pads and leggings for her horse and she'll dress she and her horse are color coordinated she must have 15 different outfits but she'll tell you about everyone and each horse and this horse is like that this horse and they're so excited to talk about their horses and if you go online with the various groups everyone will be let me introduce myself here's my horse here's the picture here's what we do here's where we go and it's just wonderful it's just this enormous community so what are some of the, I mean, you already mentioned one time about, you know, how the Hollywood view is not quite reality's view like in anything. Uh, so what are some of kind of the, the myths versus the realities of getting started with, with horses? I mean, you know, there, there's upsides, there's downsides. And where, where, where do people, where do you find people kind of come in with an idea that just 
doesn't match. I think part of it is, you know, the horses are going to be so dangerous and, and it's going to be so difficult. Other people will say, well, I'm too old. I've got creaky knees or bad back, whatever. Those are things that can usually be worked around. A lot of times it's exercise and fitness that'll work that around. I think people do not understand how, how much time this will suck out of your life. You know, it's, it's, it's particularly people who own their own horses at their own place. And they'll say, gee, I did this because I thought I'd have more time with my horse. By the time I get done doing all the chores and the maintenance and the feeding and the this and that, I don't have any time to ride. And just how time consuming it is. And and a lot of that is willingness. You're happy to be that, that involved. But if you've got a lot of other things on your plate, that will be it. The cost is another factor. We, we touched on that briefly, particularly as we get older and our finances change. It is very important to sit down and take a really good look at your financial picture. And that would be uh, that would be a, a, a good advice, regardless of what hobby you're in. When I was researching the book, I was startled at how few people have ever sat down and really planned the latter part of their life. Even if you think you can't, you don't have the money, sit down with a financial planner who will go over everything you've got and everything you might have and help you make sure that that your later years are comfortable with or without horses, no matter what you want to do. And I think that's a critical thing that a lot of people don't think about. And then they get themselves in a box and a lot of dreams get undone. Well, that's certainly really good advice. And particularly, you know, I guess what I found is that buying into a new hobby is expensive, Mm -hmm. but the ongoing of the hobby completely dwarfs whatever it costs to get into into the hobby. And I I know there's all kinds of levels involved, but I guess what what are just, and every area is different, every location is different, but kind of ballpark, what can people expect this would cost for them to get into it? Kind of the different levels of getting into Yeah, I I would always recommend people take a lot of lessons before you think about leasing or buying a horse. That way, if you decide it's not for you, you're not stuck with something you can't sell. Lessons will vary about community, the the rider, the the excuse me, the 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 reputation of the trainer, where you live. I'm gonna guess nationwide a lesson will be plus or minus fifty dollars an hour. Around here it's cheaper. I think I'm spending 35 or something like that for my lessons, but there are some places that it's higher depending on where you are. So if you figure it's 50, if it's lower, you're in good shape. You can buy more carrots for your horse. If it's higher, you're not shocked. So that's it. You have to buy your basic riding gear, which would be a good pair of riding boots. You don't have to get the fancy high boots. Western riders are easy. Or even, even English riders to a bit, cowboy boots work. But there are companies like Ariat that they sell that kind of look like hiking boots, but they've got a bottom one and it's good for riding. That'll be under $100 or around that, depending on what you get. Your riding kit for Western, it's, it's jeans. English, you're going to need breeches because the seams don't sit right for Western. But again, you go to companies like Smartpack, which is a, they're, they're a massive company. They started off selling supplements and now they sell everything you can imagine. And you'll find breeches that are $50 to $100 that are totally acceptable. Your blouse is whatever you want. You will wear safety helmet 
period, no discussion. Those will run you, you know, $100 or so, but what is your head worth? For Western people who don't like to wear the riding helmets because they don't look Western, there are companies, there's a thing called a hell hat. And you, you, there are companies that make them, or you can make your own, and you basically cut out the crown of a cowboy hat, you put in the hard hat, and then you super glue it. And you can go online and look up how to do it. The caveat there is that there's no warranty on the hard hat once you've done that because you may have structurally damaged it. But it looks like a Western hat because it is. It's just a hard hat instead of a crown. But you know, I, I'm absolutely no discussion about the safety factor of wearing a hard hat. Some people are wearing safety vests. I believe eventers, the people that do the cross-country racing, they're required to wear them. You'll see if you watch rodeos, an awful lot of the bull riders are wearing them now. And that will protect your chest if you fall. Some of them, they often, when you come off, they also go poof, and they protect your head. That's a good investment. So, you know, the, the basic stuff, a few hundred dollars. And then if you want to get more into it, you want to get a saddle, depends on what riding you're doing. And a horse, horse prices can be anywhere. If you go to a reputable rest that will require you to work with them and take some lessons with them, make sure it's a good match, you can get a, a really nice horse for $1,000, $1,500. On the other hand, if you're into some serious competition, you can spend 30 40 Or in between, eh, 5 to 15 depending on, on what you're looking for and whether or not you want to compete. And those prices can be all over the place. Right now, they're as high as, as real estate prices. A year from now, they may be dirt cheap. So you keep your ear out. Do not look for a horse on your own. They will know you are a newbie. They will know you are going to fall in love with every horse. And they will come up with lines that make those emails, we have a million dollars waiting for you scams, look legitimate. Go with somebody who knows what they're doing. And even they sometimes get caught out. I've been lucky. I haven't been caught yet. <laughs> no, there, there is definitely something to that. And I, and I like the emphasis on the word reputable. Yes. Yes. If they are reputable, they will be a registered charity. What is it? A 501c3 or whatever it is. They will be a reputable charity. You will find people who mean well and take in horses and try to rehab them. But oh, sadly, often they are people who are going are gonna to spin you a story and sell you something that they shouldn't have. Well, and I know the temptation starting out, and and this is in in a lot of hobbies, yeah. you know, to get just something cheap, not recognizing that there's a price point below which it stops yeah. being cheap and stops being effective. Yeah. And vet bills are scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, those you know because your your family rides. Vet bills are very scary, but it's 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 worth it. But as I said, spend a lot of time taking lessons and hanging out. And then you will know what kind of riding you want to do, what kind of people you want to be with. And then it's a much more positive experience for everyone. Well, what are some of the, and you've touched on this a little bit already, but some of the myths that older riders face. The, the main one is your doctor saying you're too old to do this. We usually say that's nice. Oh, you've got a knee replacement. You'll never be able to ride again. Watch me. Yeah, I think that, and, and, you know, to be fair, your doctor has to worry about you. It's, it's Roy Rogers who said, when you're young and you come off a horse, you bounce. When you're my age, you splat. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, as we get older, we do have weaker bones. 
so you know, osteoporosis that's more of a chance of, of something getting broken i think that's the main the, the main myth is that you're too old it's not healthy my hero was connie and oh heavens i've forgotten her last name she went out for her daily ride at the age of 101 on her quote frisky horse named dr pepper and when she asked him to canter he bucked and she went flying and as the, the EMTs began to medevac her away, her quote was, somehow I'd hoped that my last dismount would not have been so dramatic. You know, she never rode again. But you, know, you, you can do as much as you can for as long. I mean, Lloyd Bridges was riding well into his 80s. And there was, you know, so, so it's your, decide, your decision to, to, to keep going. And I think the biggest myth is they're too big. I, I should be afraid because this is really something new and it's really for younger people and I might get hurt. And I think those are the biggest myths. Fear is a big fear. Anxiety are the biggest two of the biggest things I hear. And, you know, there, there's a certain amount of that that is common sense. You're getting on something that's a thousand pounds and might decide to do something and you may not completely know what you're doing, which is why you should ride with an instructor for a long time. And it is a new experience. We at our age are used to being in control because our lives have been built around things that, that we understand the system and how to control. So it's, it's a new experience. And, you know, the anxiety is, is totally normal. And yet we won't stay away from horses. <laughs> That's why I say it's an addiction. You know, common sense may say, I really shouldn't do this, but I can't stop myself. It's kind of like me with chocolate, you know. <laughs> Well, what, what are some other things that kind of th those who are interested, and I know we we're kind of circling some of these yeah. ideas. There's just so much out there about horses. And <laughs> as you're trying to take on a new hobby, so, some of the other things that kind of those new to it should be aware of, or, or just kind of keep in mind. I, I think we've, we've largely touched on a lot, okay. lot of that. It's, it's, you know, think about, go out with the idea that you're here to have fun. You're not trying to prove anything. You don't need to, you know, plan that. Oh well, if I have a horse, I have to have to ride. I have to compete. There's a whole new group that's starting, and this may be for people that have some anxieties. There is a non-ridden equine movement that started in England. The lady was a was a competitor, and her horse was injured, and she decided rather than find another horse, she'd do things on the ground with this one. And that has become a huge movement. I think the last time I checked their, their site or their little group, they had over 20,000 members. And that was a couple of months ago. And it's called the Non-Ridden Equine. And you could just hang out with the horse. You can teach them agility like dog agility. They have dressage in hand so that you're doing all the great movements on in hand. You can go for trail walks, just take the horse for a walk. A lot of people, if they've got land, they will open up their property to be a sanctuary or a retirement home. Any sanctuary or, or shelter is thrilled to have somebody come and help groom the horses, learn how to do the feeding, that sort of thing. And that. It's another option that people can enjoy the horses without having to ride. I'm very startled when I hear people say, well, if you're not going to ride a horse, you shouldn't have the horse. Horses are there to be ridden. No, actually, we've, we've asked them to let us ride them. And by the grace of their furry little hearts, they let us. And I just think sitting in the, the, the field one day, just watching the horses is just, horses be horses, it just is, is as much fun as riding often. 
So those are you know, the other things that, that people can do. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I didn't know that that movement existed and is, and yet I know people who, for whatever reason, are kind of past the point where they're comfortable writing, either from past injuries, yeah. you know, just don't have the funds to maintain a whole, you know, go oh, yeah. kind of thing, but still love being around, being around the horses and love being involved. Yeah. So that, that, that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, there's also if a place has a kids program, you could also check with like 4-H, which always has equine programs and get involved with being a 4-H person. Or if they have a a kids program and you get to know the owners, you're going to just walk in and do things. A lot of times they'll have some kind of a summer camp and maybe that you could do the arts and crafts while the kids are riding. But there are ways to uh, to get involved that way as well. You know, it's 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 funny when when I was writing this about we're doing things older now and so much of the research on what people can and cannot do are based on younger people all of the official studies and the fitness programs and all of that they're all skewed towards roughly 30 year old relatively healthy men and now they're just now beginning to explore what any older person could do male or female and i kind of think it's probably because all the researchers are getting close to social security age themselves <laughs> that's what they're doing and there there seem to be no limits one of the issues that does come up frequently is balance which is important as we get older anyway and there have been some fascinating studies on how easy it is to train your body to rebalance itself. And one of the easiest things, I do Pilates, and my instructor says, as you get older, you tend to look down at your feet as you're walking because your proprioception, your, your, your peripheral vision, and a lot of your sensory things very slowly start to decline. So you're compensating without even realizing it, that instead of looking straight ahead and walking, you tend to look down at your feet, which further reduces your, your peripheral vision. And it also throws you off balance because you're leaning forward. So you're more likely to fall. And I give her a hard time because I was thinking one day, look straight ahead and promptly tripped over the, the edging of my flower, flower bed and went flying. I said, it's all your fault, you know? But just those little things is to to go online, learn learn some of the balance exercises. There's a gazillion things online, most of which are done by like physical physical therapists and all, and start to do those things, and they will make you feel more confident overall, because falling is one of the the, the biggest dangers for you know older folks. So that any kind of balance and training in those regards that makes you feel more comfortable and more more confident overall. And I like that. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I love dispelling the myth that as we get older, we need to become more sedentary, that we need to, you know, get out the rocking chair or whatever the stereotype is. <laughs> and, and that not only can we be active later and later into life, but that there's really no reason not to be. Yeah. And so what, what, what is it about now? And this is an aside, but mm-hmm. what is it about horses now? Cause you mentioned there's kind of like this horse gene that some people are just like, they're drawn to horses yeah. and other people kind of discover them. So what, what is it about the, the, the horses that you and the, and the people, you know, especially those that get into it later in life mm-hmm. are really drawn to there, you know, I, that's part of what I did when I was writing the book. I was like, what, what is it with women and horses? And they, 
the, the, the real studies have been done on like teenagers and, but it's horses represent independent, a positive, it's a partnership. You can't force, you can force a horse to do things, but it's never happy. It's, it's a partnership. It's independence. It's unconditional acceptance that your know, horse doesn't sit there and judge you. You're, it's going to judge you by how you treat it. And the, the studies indicate all creatures have an electromagnetic field that works at a, at a frequency because we're all frequencies according to the quantum physics people. And the horse's natural frequency is very close to what we call the alpha frequency, which is our frequency of being completely relaxed and, and at peace. And horses tend to emit that, which is one reason why they're so good with therapy, with special needs people, with PTSD folks, because there's this calmness. And I think that women, primarily women, I know the guys are listening too, but because we're expected to always be giving and giving and giving and giving and doing, it's just the way our society is, is kind of skewed, that to be able to go to something that simply accepts us and gives us a sense of independence and self-reliance and self-esteem, that horses just do that. And I think that's part of part of the attraction is that when I am around my horses, I, I just feel enveloped and safe. And I think that's a that's a big part of it that said that you know, women will will gravitate toward trail riding, dressage, which is a quieter type of competition. It's more the balance between you and the horse, the communication and, you know, the sanctuaries, those kind of things where guys tend to be more hot wired to do the more competitive stuff, rodeo, eventing, really serious show jumping. And the one, one quote I read, it, it said, men like riding, women like horses. <laughs> now, I know all the men are going to start writing me nasty notes now, but I do tend to see that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of difference in approach. That's fascinating. That is a very interesting distinction there, liking the mm-hmm. riding versus liking the horses. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about it that deep. I mean, I just know that some people really, really like like horses that way. And but I, you know, looking at it from the kind of outside position that, that I inhabit, you know, I'm around horses all the time, but but I'm I'm not a horse person, but I, I like having horses around. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, they're beautiful to look at. They're, you know, it's uh, and, and typically when you have horses around, you're out in the country, which I prefer being out in the country. So that's nice too. You know, the scenery mm-hmm. is good. But just kind of that, I don't know, a, a chance to step aside from your normal daily life and to go yep. into this totally different environment yep. that really mirrors like nothing in daily life yeah when Uh, when when you are riding you and the horse must mind melt and in order to do that you have to throw everything else out the rest of your life has to go away because horses will very much pick up on your feelings if you are upset if you are tense if you're whatever the horse picks it up because go well she's upset i better better be too what's her problem and to learn to relax and just you know when you're riding that's it just the two of you and that's that does make the rest of the world go away, even if it's for just that hour or so that you're there. It can make such a big difference. And as I said, that's that's one reason why they are so used in so many therapeutic settings. Yeah, that's no, that's fascinating. I can totally totally see that. No, there, there's something else that you mentioned. What what people oh, yeah. don't think about with horses if you're getting into them. <laughs> if you have a horse 
you know, unless you want to spend your entire life board it because it's twice a day, every day, all weather, all climates, all everything, that horse has to be fed. That stall must be mucked. And I think people kind of forget that, you know, you can't go on vacation because there's no kennel. <laughs> so you have to, you have to realize that, that that is a great commitment if you are going to take that horse and take care of it yourself, which is why I have always boarded. Also, you have to have a tremendous knowledge of feeding and looking at a horse and, and, and first aid. And can you tell if your horse is in the early stage of colic or whatever? And I don't have that knowledge and I would always be terrified that I would miss something even if I studied and I have taken many, many courses. So that's always good to have, you know, work with somebody who really knows what they're doing. Uh, de- definitely. So, and that is, you know, that, that's one of the things like I've been getting into go-karting and oh. right now, right now in Texas, it's, you know, the feels like temperatures pushing 114. Yeah. My go-kart can sit in the garage weeks at a time, does not need my attention. That's right. My wife's nope. horses, no, they need attention. Yeah, that's uh, right. And so, and now what, what, what you need to try, have you tried street luge? No. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's too much fun to be legal. You're basically <laughs> on, you know, like the, like the snow luge. Yeah. This is a, this is kind of like, almost like a skateboard on steroids okay. and you're in leathers because when you, and you just lay there and you just luge down a hill on a street and that is too much fun to be legal. And it is oh. so finely re- defined that I was doing a, a magazine article about it. If you just the slightest tilt of your head, because they're crashing into the into the the the, uh, the bales, and the guy says you're looking too too late, and just barely turn your head, and you're just oh, it is too much fun to be legal. You must try this. It's street oh. luge. You must try it. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, again, you're too old to do that. Ah, eh, well, I'm only six inches off the ground. I can't hurt myself. <laughs> Well, that that's fantastic. I, yeah, I'm going to have to to look at that. That sounds really cool. Cause I always like, I mean, that was a sport in the Olympics that I watched was the luge. That just looked well, so I, much fun. I did get a chance to try it a few years ago up at one of the, the ski resorts in Pennsylvania. And it was very simple. And that was a lot of fun. And they actually had some people there from the Olympic team watching kids and kids that seemed to pick it up. They were talking to the parents and asking them if they wanted to come up to what is it, Lake Placid up in New York and have like a weekend seminar with them. And they were at that young age, were recruiting people. And that is just so much fun. Just, I watched them on the Olympus and go, these people are crazy. They're absolutely crazy. But I, I understand the fascination and the thrill of it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? Those things that you yes. saw early in life that you're like, that looks awesome or even catch now hadn't even didn't even know it was a thing and then you hear about it it's like oh I'd yeah love to try that and you know somewhere out there there is like i always used to joke that there's no group so small that they don't have a magazine and a convention like <laughs> absolutely oh god absolutely absolutely and yeah it, it's out there now of course it's a website and all that but yeah so one of the things i pray i really appreciate about this conversation is really the focus on just getting started with it because it can be overwhelming of, you know, I've got to go buy, you know, turbo diesel pickup and a trailer and property. And oh, that, that comes the second year. <laughs> yes. The first year is just getting into it and seeing if the bug really bites. And then the second year is deciding if you want to buy or lease leasing. I've never quite understood because you pay all the bills. You just don't own the horse. So if the lease ends, you're, you're without anything. 
on the plus side is if you get into it and you decide this really isn't for me, you're not stuck with a horse you have to sell. And then, you know, I, I would recommend taking lessons a year or so before you really decide if you want to buy something. In some cases, you know, that, that's, that's a movable deadline there and then you get the horse then you get the truck and trailer not that i did anything (laughs) like that and then you go through a series of trucks and they all have names and special you know vanity license plates that has your horse's name on it and you kind of you kind of trick out the inside of your trailer's dressing room so it's really cool for you and it's it could get kind of silly but hey you know Well, you already mentioned the young rider with 15 outfits that match the horse. So why, oh, shouldn't, yes. the, why shouldn't the truck and trailer match as well? Absolutely. Right? Well, what, <laughs> I, I, what happened was I was going to buy the truck and trailer because the, 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 I had a, a Jeep Cherokee that wasn't going to hold anything heavy. So I'm going out to buy myself my Dodge, my Rosie the Red Durango. And I, I, was, I was buying my trailer. It's a company called Equus Spirit, which is really they design their trailers around what's best for the horse. And I'm calling it. And they said, well, you know, it's white and it's got this, you know, a strike. I thought it was fine. And I happened to mention I was buying the this truck. And they said, what's what's the color of the truck? I said, it's Dodge. It's red. And they said, send us the color code so that we can match the stripe. So I drove down with this red Durango with the red stripe and top exact match. I got more compliments. That's a really great looking rig. Yeah. And then the, at 195,000 miles, Rosie died one day on the interstate at three o'clock on Christmas Eve. I was able to coast over to the side of the road and it was six hours before the company was able to find somebody who would tow me because it was Christmas Eve. And when I bought a new truck, just by coincidence, it was also red. So I said, okay, this is good. Nice. <laughs> of course, people can get a little silly about things. Well, they're not the only ones. We we know that. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, my husband, he, he has a small plane and it's like, you know, plane, boat, same difference, except that for his birthday, his, I bought him his, his car license plate is the registration number of the airplane. Cause you have back of the airplane always has the big numbers. His, yep. his registration, his registration number is his license plate. He was so pleased. Oh, that's like, awesome. What a wife I am. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's really cool. I love that. Well, you know, as we kind of start wrapping up here today, Fran, anything, anything that we haven't touched on or any kind of final thoughts for folks who are interested in getting started or it's, 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 I mean, this book is, you know, it's horses, obviously your guide to loving horses, midlife and beyond. But um, the, the overall thing that I, I hope comes across in the book, and in this conversation, yeah, we've kind of lived towards horses and I'm hoping people, you know, yeah, this sounds like fun, but that don't limit yourself. If for horses don't interest you, but you want to try to go skiing or snowboarding or scuba, my, my father-in-law got his scuba certification at 70. So, and, and, or to learn a new language as one lady said, she wants to learn Spanish, go learn Spanish to, to not limit yourself to somebody else's preconceived object. I went to, to an all-girls Catholic school in the 70s. You were going to be a teacher, you were going to be a, 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 a nurse, or you were going to be a nun, or you were going to get married. And we don't need to do that anymore. We can look and do whatever we want. I know people that I, I live near in a university town, and they've, they've managed to, to work some things that I can go audit classes and almost any field, they'll open it up so that you can go audit something, not necessarily to get a degree, but 
if you've always been interested in chemistry, go take the chemistry course. And, and I think that's the thing that I hope comes across that we have no limits, you know, no reservations, just go what you, you want to try. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? <laughs> We're past the stage where we have to do something and get approval or it has to work because if it doesn't work, you'll look like less of a person. I think you're more of a person if you try something, even if you fall on your face, because you tried it and you had fun doing it. And that's, you know, that's what I, the, the first lady who hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, she was 65 years old and just threw a backpack on her back and up she went. Go for it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, Fran, that that is a, I love that spirit. That is a great place to wrap up here. So, oh, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? Yes, the book, it's www.ridersofacertainage.com. That'll take you to the website. You can order it right off there. It has more information. You can download a sample of the book from that site so you can see whether or not it's something you're really interested in. And that's fabulous. Would, would love that. And that's a good place to start. There is also a Facebook page of the same name. It's a small group. I'm just getting it started. So there's not a lot there yet because I'm still figuring out all this social media stuff, but I'll get there. Well, that sounds good. And, you know, and I, I've been on the website and I know that there's a ton of information beyond just a chance to order the book just for everything we've been talking about. You touch on all those topics and more. Thank you. This is, this has been fabulous. This was fun.